At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF Public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sessingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7 or streaming on WUSFnews.org. You can also hear it Mondays at 10 p.m. on Classical WSMR 89.1 and 103.9. This week on Florida Matters, it's our monthly reporters roundtable, and we'll keep the conversation going with William March, who writes about politics for the Tampa Bay Times as a longtime politics reporter in the Tampa Bay area, and Justine Griffin, who reports on health for the Tampa Bay Times, and Stephanie Colombini, producer of Florida Matters. Thank you all for being here. Thanks, Robin. So, William March, there have been some big changes in Cuba that could affect Florida. No Castros are running Cuba for the first time in a long time. But while Raul Castro's successor, Miguel Diaz-Canel, was chosen and carefully groomed by the Castros, do you think we're going to see any changes? Um, I think in the the short term, no. And um, there's a lot of speculation that Canel could eventually become independent of the Castro philosophy, the Castro governing style, but there's no indication he's doing it right now, and he's certainly not going to to, to do that in a hurry. He's big in the Communist Party. And, right. You know. um, the, the possibility for change could come after he, I suppose, after he establishes his independence, creates his own political power base, mm-hmm. independent from the Castros. The Cuban-Americans in Miami seem very unimpressed. I don't see a lot of optimism on their part. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Read some stories recently from Cuba, not a lot of optimism there about major changes. Uh, And the government played the the power transition down in Cuba. They made it, they did not make a big show of it. It was a small, not heavily publicized formal ceremony. People just sort of went about their business. They wanted it to seem like business as usual, and um, everything's going to continue right status quo stephanie i want to hear about this new museum the tom and mary james museum for western and wildlife art opened this month in st petersburg and you were there yeah i got a chance to get a preview of the museum it was really cool um it's huge considering it's kind of a niche art form you know western and wildlife art so um, Tom James, he's the former chairman or, of Raymond James Financial. Um, he was also really involved with the Dolly Museum, also in downtown St. Pete. This is him and his wife's private collection, um, part of it. So they have this massive collection of Western and wildlife art. Um, I know it's, I believe, over 3,000 pieces. So they put about 400 in this museum in downtown. Um, and, you know, you're coming off the street in this urban landscape and you go into this museum and it's like, you're in this, you know, Western, kind of abstract Western world. There's sandstone jutting out at weird angles. So you feel like you're going through a rocky canyon and there's a waterfall and um, really just a lot of 
Native American art, um, nature pieces, Florida animals, um, you know, the Western cowboys and landscapes. And what's really cool is, you know, when I would think of Western art, I kind of think of older pieces that may maybe were done at during the time period of, you know, landscapes and stuff. But almost all of the artwork is new of by living artists who are still alive. And, you know, you'll see pieces from 2016 and things like that. So they're depicting scenes from maybe the 1800s. But it's, you know, young emerging artists who are doing all the work. Um, and and it's not all stereotypical cowboys and in, Indians. You know, there's a lot of um, stuff by Native American artists. And, you know, it, it's really if you like Western and wildlife art, you're definitely going to want to check it out. I, I'd like to go back because I was skimming through it, and I, I really was surprised at how much artwork there is in there. There's a jewelry collection as well, so it's worth checking out. And that's just one of many, you know, there's three museums. So the James Museum opened this month. Recently, the Imagine Museum opened down there, which is another um, private collection of glass art. And then there's a Arts and Crafts Museum, this huge museum that's going to open in 2019. So downtown St. Pete already had a ton of art museums. Now they're getting more. It's really going to be on the map as an arts mecca in Florida, I think. Where is that? Where's the Western Museum? The Western Museum is on Central Ave, close to the water. Um, So it's pretty far down on on Central Avenue. How's the gift shop? Uh, It was so that was still it kind of had its soft opening a couple weeks ago. And then the grand opening is this weekend. The 27th, 28th um, is when they're having the grand opening weekend. So I imagine the gift shop will be up and running then. It wasn't when I was there, but I know they've got that. They've got a restaurant. They have a restaurant. Dats, yeah, which is in Tampa, really Mm -hmm. popular. So, oh, yeah. Burgers. Fun, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it sounds like it's pretty big. It's going to take a while to get through that museum, so mm-hmm. you get Definitely hungry. Take an afternoon, yeah. And, but it's when within walking distance of everything in downtown. Yeah, I mean, uh, there you got the MFA farther down on the waterfront. The Chihuly is on Central as well, but kind of on the other, you know, a few, a few blocks down. Um, but yeah, you could easily spend a couple days just going to all the art museums there. Did you say you lived in St. Pete, Justine? I do, yes. Ha- have you been there yet? I have not, but uh, I think I've seen some of the sneak peek photos. Mm-hmm. It, it does look enormous and beautiful. I'm excited. And moving from art museum to strip clubs, <laughs> <laughs> Justine, Joe Redner, yes. we talked about in the show, we talked about Joe Redner's case. He wants to grow his own marijuana so he can juice it. Right. Um, And a judge has ruled in his favor right now. The Department of Health is appealing that. Right. Um, Had you heard of juicing marijuana before this? Uh, I had I had not. No, me either. Yeah, I feel so much better because I thought I am so out of it. I mean, I heard of smoking it, eating it, Mm -hmm. um, but I never heard of juicing it, and it doesn't seem like it would give much get much juice out of it. I wonder what it would taste like. Probably horrible. Probably, yeah, I'm I think when sure. you juice anything, horrible, have, do you yeah. ever try like the alfalfa that they have at the farmers markets and mm-hmm. stuff? It's hideous. I I can't imagine. That's a good question. The next time I talk to Mr. Redner, I'm going to ask him. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, you would need probably just think how many plants, how many leaves you're going to need to get any juice out of that. Well. 
be I mean, like if you, know, you add water or something? I think right. you probably you want to mix it with gin. Water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Poor gin. It's very effective then. Mm-hmm. The uh, interesting thing to me about this, though, is Joe Redner himself. Uh, you introduced him, of course, as a, as a strip club owner, and that's what he's famous for. And he's famous for filing litigation, uh, mm-hmm. although it's been years since he's had to, to allow his strip clubs to operate. But another aspect of Joe Redner's sort of public personality that people don't notice so much is the amount of of suing that he's done right. in order wow. to enforce, um, in order to to promote political points of view. He, the best example, I guess, before this one was his lawsuit against Hillsborough County uh, over gay rights issues, in which he proclaimed himself to be gay right. in order to have standing to sue. And and he basically said, okay, if you think I'm not, prove me wrong. Wow. <laughs> so he would be kind of considered maybe a libertarian? He's very much a libertarian. Mm-hmm. He has, um, but he has very liberal or progressive, whatever word you want to use, political views, especially on things like the environment uh, and on things like use of medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And he's got I guess the means to sue. Oh yes, made some sure. money. Mm-hmm. Is it only through strip clubs? That no, you're... actually, if if my knowledge of Joe Redner's finances is correct, he has more money now as a result of um, the sale of Cigar City Brewery, his son's brewery that he was a major investor in. Probably brought him more wealth than uh, than his adult entertainment empire had previously. He was already wealthy before that, but I think. Uh, the Cigar City uh, sale added a bunch to it. I missed that. When did they sell that? Uh, a couple of years ago. I want to say I, I wrote that story, too. I think oh. it was about two years ago. And they sold to, uh, I think it's Oscar River in Colorado. That might be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's Oscar Oscar Blues. Do you, are you familiar with that can of beer? It's a it's another craft brewery in Colorado. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they are. But yeah, that happened. I think about two years ago. What's Joe Joey Redner the younger doing now? Then well, didn't he retain control of the company or uh, at least he's a still involved? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he bought a really beautiful everywhere. house in Tampa. I remember <laughs> shortly after that. As you do. How nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Justine, on a slightly less fun story, you wrote that there are top the top five things killing Floridians. What is killing us? Uh, I was hoping that it would be something that, you know, maybe Craig Pittman would write about, like alligators or snakes yeah, right. or something Rattle native sna- to Florida. Rattlesnakes <laughs> yeah. and, kill- and killer bees. Unfortunately, it's not as exciting as that. Uh, it's uh, sort of your most common health ailments that you sort of expect. Uh, our weight, obesity, uh, was a big one. Uh, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes. I'd have to go back and revisit the list. What but about the opioids? What about opioids? Is that one? Yes, and that, I, opioids have skyrocketed across mm-hmm. the country too, not just Florida, but opioid use was a huge one. Was that in the top five? Mm-hmm. Really? Florida um, as a whole is such a good demographic um, uh, imitation of the nation as a whole that that it's you're going to find when you look at things like causes of death in Florida, they're going to be very similar to the average of the nation as a whole because Florida's population is is a good representation of the average of the nation as a whole in terms of demographic breakdown, uh, race, suburban versus urban versus rural. We've got a little of everything here, don't we? Right. 
The only difference, of course, is Florida skews a little bit older than the rest of the nation, but not as much as people think. Not as much as it used to. That's what I was thinking. All the retirees, you know, Miami Beach used to be. Mm -hmm. But now it's very young there, I think. Even Mm St. Petersburg is a good example. Oh, yeah. Oh, St. Petersburg. That's a great example. St. Petersburg has been getting younger for close to 15 or 20 years. It's been gradually decreasing in its proportion of elderly citizens. Mm -hmm. I was very surprised, Justine, um, that we were talking about one of the proposed amendments to the Florida Constitution would be a ban on greyhound racing. And as a greyhound owner yourself, uh, an owner of a rescued greyhound, I thought for sure you would say, oh, yes, we're all everybody who's got greyhounds were in favor of that ban. But no, some people, some uh, greyhound advocates are saying they're not sure that would be a great idea. I thought that was really interesting. It's complicated. Uh, A lot of the rescue groups have wonderful relationships with specific race owners. Uh, And so they get a steady stream of dogs that are retiring, coming off the track. Some of them have injuries, some of them don't. Uh, But they all basically go to these rescues for a rehab program where they they have routine vet care, they're taken care of, and they're assessed before they're either put in foster families or adopted out. But the goal is to adopt all of these dogs out, find them homes. So it's not necessarily that they were abused. It's just that they finished their racing life, just like horses do. Some, I, I don't want to say that, that the dogs aren't abused. They're, they are bred for a specific pers- purpose, and that is to race. Mm-hmm. And uh, how you feel about that personally, you know, we are, we are, the dog is bred to race. Whether right. it wants to race or not, that is what it's going to do, depending on how successful it is. So, so it, is, it is complicated. And as someone who owns a thoroughbred off the track, it's very similar. Uh, horse owners are especially race owners, there are some that are better than others. But I do think that some of the rescues have worked very hard to, ha- to make these inroads into the greyhound racing industry, and they have good relationships with people who do care about the dogs that they're breeding and racing. And I think if the I, – I understand that the way it's worded is it, the dog racing would end by a specific year, right, 2020? Uh, it would be I over time. so. I'm not sure. So it's not like Derby Lane would close its doors overnight, right. but it would still create an influx of hundreds of dogs, maybe more than that, that need to find homes. And I think that would be overwhelming to these little rescues uh, where they're used to a, a steady stream of dogs, but not hundreds all at once. Where, where are those dogs going to go? Aren't a lot of the paramutual facilities in favor of ending racing? I would say so. The... Um, my understanding is that a lot of them, they have to hold races under current law. They have to have racing in order to have the real cash cows that right. they that they that they mm-hmm. want to have, which is casino Slot gambling. Or, yeah. Casino mm-hmm. gambling gives them a lot more profit with a lot less expense. But under the under current law, they have to be paramutual facilities, meaning high lie horse racing or dog racing, in order to have the casino gambling. And I think uh, a lot of the industry is in favor of what's been called decoupling, which is separating racing or high lie from the ability to have card games and slots. That is William March. Thanks, thanks, William, for being here. Longtime political reporter in the Tampa Bay area. Thanks. Very long time. Yeah. <laughs> Very long time. And we've also been talking to Justine Griffin, a health reporter for the Tampa Bay Times. Thanks, Justine, for being here. Thanks for having me. And we have Stephanie Colombini, producer of Florida Matters. Stephanie, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Robin. 
Thank you for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSFnews.org. I'm Robin Sussingham. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More. And subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.